0: Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast with Benji and a mammoth pod today, and that'll be this way for the rest of the week. Paranis, Toreno Adriatico, Stage 1, Paranis Stage 4, and Healthy Aging Tour, Stage 1 as well in the Netherlands. We're going to split it up on the YouTube channel into three different videos, but I know podcast on podcast players, it's better to have it in one big file. Paranis first, Toreno second as the World Tour races, and then Hel- Healthy Aging Tour last as the two one before we get into the recaps i want to mention our show partner Lacole and maybe something they do that you might not be aware of that Lacole do custom kit so you can do just like with the pro teams say it was bahrain mclaren last year have the custom Lacole kit well you can do the same thing with Lacole. you've got if you have a cycling club or a large group of friends you can supply your design or maybe some artwork inspiration and Lacole can design it in house with their designers and confirm the order quantities before it goes into production, like a pre purchase sort of arrangement. And then step three is the Lacole factory in Italy. Italy produce the kit and ship it to you about eight weeks later. So it's pretty simple and I think pretty good to be able to get custom kit. Um maybe it's saying we could look into Benji for I don't know if Lacole want to do meme kit. Um is fake news how do we do a fake news climb kit i'm sure there'd be a lot of demand the cherubla stage in Paris nice stage four this was a fake news climb uh i'm not sure if you've seen the la flam rouge profile of the last climb it's so up and down it's like a vuelta climb and 188k stage rolling hills all day uh, 3300 meters elevation, and they finished with this 7.4k 6% climb. But it's got two sections, sustained sections of like 1200 meters of 10 to 11%. And there's an intermediate sprint at the end of one of those sections, and then actual flat and like descending sections as well in this climb. We picked yesterday Roglic for the stage as the heavy favorite. Not a genius to do that and uh, I think Sharkman, Guillaume martin and co. as well. So the question was, Benji, who could you get in a breakaway? And that was the problem, right? Could anyone interesting really go in a breakaway today in a one-week stage race when they haven't lost enough time up to this point? Do you think that was a problem with this stage that it always was going to come down to the GC group?
1: On one end, yes. Um, On the other, I'm not sure that... It was the biggest reason. I think that either way, even if the gap was larger, Jumbo would still control this race. And that's basically what they did today. They controlled the pace throughout the entire stage. We had some riders in the breakaway, including the likes of Oliver Nasten and such. So some proper engines up there. But they can't do anything about a peloton that just doesn't give them any proper, yeah, any proper gap. And today that was nothing different. And yeah, I did not expect really that. A breakaway could do anything on the stage we were spoke speaking about it yesterday as well and we came to that conclusion as well during our uh, discussion points did you have any thought process to how a team could upset jumbo's planet controlling the race and bringing roglish towards the last clan?
0: there'd have to be some sort of like borderline illegal collaboration between <laughs> all the other teams and like yonis aguirre would need to go to casper pedersen and Luis Leon Sanchez and Lutschenko, and they'd all need to attack on the same hill at the same time with Lawrence DePluce <laughs> and catch Yumbo napping. That's pretty seriously, that's like probably the, the best way. Um, and the later you leave it, and that's what happened, right? Yumbo Visma are allowed to use Tony Tony Martin and Co. And if you don't attack in a coordinated fashion early, then yeah, Yumbo Visma, if, you, if it's just one, we saw Casper Pedersen, Benji, he attacked with maybe like 35Ks to go or so. Casper for DSM, I was like, oh, maybe he's a satellite rider for Hindley or Te- note uh, probably. But it's one rider. And he's a strong guy, but he just got real back by Jumbo Visma very quickly on that hill. We saw Stefan Bissiger yo-yoing off the back at the end of some of these climbs. Uh, I think, what was it, uh, Col de Derby's, I think, uh, or maybe the no, I think it was the last descent of uh Montbrouille. It is where Bissiger started to get started to pop. Um but once once they went into that final climb, which we'll get to in a second, but I was like if they go into the final climb with at least Krones and Bennett and Roglic, like you can't win. I've never I like Shackman, I like him as rider. think he's a good funny guy too, but he doesn't actually have a lot of wins on a finish like this in his career or up there. I like him more on the sort of endurance liaison and then finishing on the flat um, style style course to be at And even then, it's a, a tough call or a tough ask for him. But moving on to this descent, one of the last descents, Benji, or before then, sorry, the Ineos move I want to talk about. Ineos started to move up with Amador and Dennis, they signaled it, right? like that, that shouldn't have come as a surprise to Jumbo Visma when they actually did start to accelerate, right? Yep.
1: I think that we noticed everybody slowly but surely moving up from Inyos and just instantly they were at the front pacing like mad, but they have to pause the entire team of Jumbo to get to the front because Jumbo was yeah. sitting <laughs> pretty much at the front. So it can't be that Jumbo was like, oh my God, I didn't see that one coming. There was there was some clear knowledge that something was about to happen. And Ineos went to the front, set up their, I think, five-man train, six-man train. And they started mashing it before the Montbrouille ascension, which is with a good 16, 15 kilometers to go, I think. Something like that. And for that final climb, the breakaway still had a bit of a gap, but they weren't going to make it. So that Ineos move basically almost caught the breakaway, if not actually caught them at that point.
0: It called and- the Narsing group.
1: Yeah, okay. I think. yeah. Yeah, because Bernard was still ahead, uh, just yeah. after Montbrouille. But on Montbrouille, we had some action. We had that Inyels move slowly but surely taking out the train that was at the front. Then suddenly we had the plus and Gegenhard left. And instead of the plus setting up a high pace for Gegenhard, he went on the attack and Gegenhard opened up the gap there. So a sneaky tactic. I don't think that is what Jumbo was expecting. I think that Yumbo would probably expect, order. he's going to ride for Gegenhardt, But I also don't think that it's perhaps... It feels desperate. That's what I'm trying to say. They're trying something, uh. but I don't know. I don't know what else they could have done, but I also don't think that it would remotely work in any way.
0: I think there's definitely one part of this stage where if you're a rival of Roglic, you want to pencil what happened, and that is when Ineos came to the front in advance of the village on this false flat. Uh, with Amador and Dennis, and without Wout Van Aert there, Kruijsvijk, Uman, and Bennett were behind Roglic. They couldn't help him at all to move up, and Roglic was isolated. There was a time where I was like, shit, if someone loses the wheel here and Ineos is super strong, he could be in trouble, and it didn't eventuate. DSM were too invested in chasing, but it's pretty easy to isolate Roglic if there's no Wout Van Aert or Tony Martin there. I think, uh, on a f- undulating parkour or slightly uphill to flat. Um, and he's just, he had the wasps he just moved himself up in the wind from like 15th wheel all the way up yeah. to our Gagenhart. But listen, that's not ideal. And, uh, if I was in the Austin UAE, I'd be like, Hey, Dennis, Mikael Bjerg and co let's get something going. Oh, Dennis won't go to the tour, but Luke Rowe and Mikhail Bjerg, let's get something going. Um, and you just got to put him under pressure like that. Maybe nothing will happen, but maybe something might. And then, I mean, you got to try something right. So Montbrouille, who got, who attacked? Sorry. Look, Dolores de, de plus got brought back by DSM Benji. Um, but then pretty much all setting pace. When did Remy Cavagnard attack? Was it after that climb or right at the end on the crest? It was
1: right at the end on the crest. And we saw him attack and... It was with a, a serious move going around the corner and just, boom, he had like 20 meters on the peloton. And we know that Cavaniard directly goes into his TGV de uh, Clement Ferrand um, time trial mode, not on the bars. So uh, no puppy paws here, but he was uh, riding legally this time around and he kept up that, that pacing and suddenly we had another move up from the peloton out that was Leon Sanchez with Honestly, a more powerful attack than Cavagna, in my honest opinion. Yeah, he, bridge he bridged so up to Cavagna in no time. <laughs> and I think that those two stayed together for quite a bit, but eventually Cavagna got dropped by Luis Leon Sanchez, who eventually bridged up towards Julian Bernard at the front of the race. So that's the two men at the front of the race now. But we saw something oh, happen no, to the Peloton as well. And yeah. um,
0: before that climb, Go yeah. to and heart What happened? Yes. Like what happened there? I didn't I didn't go into the slow-mo to see who was responsible. Did Gegenhardt slide out and then Godu was behind him and crashed? Or was it independent and it was a sticky corner? I couldn't figure out whether they were independent of each other, their crashes. To me, it felt
1: like Gegenhardt just... Uh, his wheel slipped and he went on the floor. And that caused Gegenhardt to... Uh, that caused Godou to have to go around Gegenhardt, And yeah, right, he ended up okay. in the ditch next to the road. That's how I saw it. And... It looked at the start that he was getting on his bike relatively quickly, again, hot, that he was going to continue and yeah. get to the back of the front group. And Godou took a bit longer to get back up. We saw that both the... I'm not sure it was the plus or a teammate that was waiting for hard in the peloton or not even waiting, just like moving to the back of the group. And we also saw that for Godou, it was... um I mean, um, right. who was uh, yeah. stopping and literally... On the spot, saw that his guy crashed and directly stopped and waited for him. And Gegenhardt started riding first. But eventually we saw that Godou and Adamurai passed Gegenhardt going back to the group and actually caught back up while Gegenhardt looked to be looking at his wrist or something. And unfortunately, eventually had to uh, abandon the race a few minutes later. So second Ineos leader out of this Baronese. Not their uh, happiest moment, that is for sure and let's hope his injuries his wrist injury is uh not that bad i guess
0: yeah it's a, it's a real shame but i hope he's not too badly injured it's not uh it's not probably the most serious crash but um yeah i wanted to see what Tadej Pogacar could do on his final climb um i'm not sure if i can that might have preceded the Cavaniar attack which was after the sort of the lull after that crash when people were trying to figure out what to do. Go to bridge back up through the convoy pretty easily. He was hustling on that descent. He didn't seem too phased, but I still think it affected him. Eight Ks to go. Bernard led Cavanier and Sanchez by 15 seconds. They led the Peloton by 45 seconds. The climb seven or six to seven K's long. I don't think they count the first K of it properly, but it was climb looked like climbing to me from seven Ks to go. And Cavanard had a mechanical Benji and I don't know what happened. It, what, he got stuck in the small ring in the biggest, yeah. in the well, in the smaller sprocket, but the hardest gear at the back, and in the small ring, which I haven't seen before. Normally, and because he was like pedaling 30 rpm, and he's like, "What the hell? He's trying to change the gear?" Because usually, <laughs> I thought I thought with when Di two goes flat, um, it will chuck you into the small ring at the front, but then it'll let you for a little bit adjust at the back, um. And it won't maybe maybe he went completely flat and he then it like defaults into the small rank right at the front, but then he couldn't it just left him in whatever he was at at the back, but that was a shame, do you think it changed the result today, or he was getting he had no chance anyway,
1: yeah, if we look at the end of the stage that we'll discuss in a second, then uh I don't think
0: it would have mattered at all, yeah, I don't think so, so five cases to go Bernard and Sanchez Sanchez bridged to him. They lead the peloton by 25 seconds. There's this steep 1300 meter section and the peloton is starting to really thin out. George Bennett in the Kiwi National Champs jersey. I, I'm struggling. i am just got to get myself used to the different so color ugly. jersey. With him. Uh, yeah, like, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure I like it. Eh?
1: The reason I don't like it is that I think they had to switch it from like the black-white yes. version to the white-black version.
0: Uh, to and- invert the colors.
1: What they forgot to do was change the yellow color of the pants to the white color because of the branding of Jumbo, obviously wanting a yellow color there. And I think that ruins it for me because now there's complete opposite coloring between the, the top of the kit and like the bottom of the kit. And I don't like it. I really don't like it.
0: All right. Benji's out on that New Zealand champs kit. Send and angry reacts only uh, <laughs> in the YouTube comments if you feel particularly strongly about it. I knew with this intermediate sprint coming up with the bonus seconds and then there's 10 bonus seconds obviously available on the line that 15 seconds was going to be pretty dicey for Julian Bernard, who's been out there all day, and Luis Leon Sanchez, who's a strong rider but not the climbing level of Roglic and co. DSM were very active, Benji, for Tish Benoit. Um Could you figure out, were they attacking with Hindley? Were they just trying to bring moves back with him. I couldn't really figure out whether they were trying to go for the stage with Hindley or he was just riding defensively for T- Tiege Benoit.
1: I really can't tell. It's weird to see Hindley ride for Benoit for GC, which is for me at least, but knowing what happened at Paris last year, we know that Tiege has a one-week stage race in his capabilities for GC, obviously not to win Paris in my opinion but he can definitely do decent in these kind of races. And yeah, it looked like Hindley was the, um, the person who had to spice things up for Benoit. And I think that Hindley isn't really looking almost remotely near the form that he was in the Giro last year. And I hope that he can improve that. Otherwise it might've been a bit of a one-time story, but it's obviously still very early on in the season, but yeah, I'm, I'm not sure that this is the form I'd expect from Hindley. I think that Gegenhot is looking much better, and they are, uh, yeah. I kind of see them on the on a similar level after that Giro of last year.
0: Uh, I think Hindley's not good at climbs like this. Uh, I think he prefers the longer climbs than yeah, like a pure high mountain stage. His, his TT is obviously. No good. This group had been thinned out quite a lot. 4Ks to go now on this climb. It flattened out for a bit, and then it was going to kick up for another 1,200 meters at 10%. Michael Matthews for Bike Exchange was still here. I'm in saying he's climbing better. He lost a lot of weight last year. He seems to have kept that off. We saw that in Turinno and Milano San Remo. He is climbing differently, I think, to in previous years. And Bissiger in the yellow jersey had obviously been dropped. Matthews nine seconds behind on GC, I think. So if he came together in the group, he had a chance to get that yellow jersey back. I couldn't believe he was there, Benji. Um, uh, or do you think if you... Is this the same sort of guy you'd see when he was powering behind Gilbert on the Cowbird uh, sort of five years ago, or however long ago it was?
1: Yeah, he certainly can achieve wonderful things when it comes to climbing that people don't expect. And it's often a bit inconsistent. And I think that's why we don't expect it. We uh, had Tireno last year where we saw lots of stuff and he was on, on mountain stage in the breakaway and such. He uh, almost beat Cottero at the top of a, a KOM a, of a mountain. And I think that we kind of got botched off that thought process by the Giro in which, to me, he didn't achieve what we expected of him. Then again, we, we kind of expected him to win every single stage that was remotely a hilly sprint or a sprint. So that wasn't really oh, the best prediction. Yeah.
0: yeah, what? With Kyle. Bike Exchange pulled out with COVID, didn't it? Oh no, he was yeah, on bike. He didn't ride he was on for DS. Bike Exchange. <laughs> <laughs> he's Australian. He's always been on Bike Exchange. <laughs> anyway, back to this stage. Pierre Latour has attacked now. Second time he's attacked. He attacked on every lull. Three point five k to go. He's followed by Michael Matthews. Roglic perhaps worried about the intermediate bonus seconds that are like six hundred meters up the road. Absolutely, lo- I think Roglic was just bored. To be honest, you could see he was nose-breathing. Third wheel of the whole climb. People are fla- flapping about around him. Kreuzweik had pulled things back and was gone. He's like, well, attack is the best form of defense. And this was a just an absolute classic Roglic attack with about yeah. three 3.1k's to go. It's just that, you know, when he's in form, in the saddle, spinning a super high cadence, uh, and he had Izagira, I think, on the wheel following him, We're in the draft, you have to admit, and he bridged across to Louis Leon, went past him, (laughs) didn't even sit in his slipstream very long, and then dropped Izagueta off the wheel. And I was like, this is done because no one's going to be strong enough to chase. Um, You think that was because of the intermediate sprint coming up, Benji, that Roglic one of those seconds, which he then took, obviously, or do you think this is a new Rogler wanting to attack early because of maybe criticism of being too defensive? What do you think? Well,
1: I think it's a combination of multiple things. First of all, it's the last steep section of the climb. After that, it becomes less steep from 10% to like 5% in the last two kilometers. So that is the move or the position on the climb where you can make such a move. Obviously, the intermediate sprint is at the end of that section, which means that it benefits even more to attack at that point. Now, the problem and the reason why we didn't expect him to attack like this at this very moment, or at least I didn't yesterday was because it has been since, I think, the Slovenian Championships against Pogacar, where we saw an attack by Roglic, more than four kilometers from the line, except for Koldalos, but I think that Koldalos is a bit of a weird exception because technically Lopez attacked first. So, yeah, yeah, I don't think we can really count that. So, I think this is, yeah, it's been ages. And I like it because it spiced it up. I think that the chase could have done much better. I don't think they could have caught them because you still have Matthews. You got Lucas Hamilton there. And instead of like setting up a proper pace, either of them, they paced each a tiny bit. Then they went to the back of the group. And then at the same time, they moved back up at a high pace and they looked at each other at the front and were like, are you gonna pace it, or how am I gonna pace? Yeah. And there was and like Vlasov, no decision. And uh,
0: Vlasov too, and yeah. you know, like and Shakun and Mart, they were all looking at each other, and yeah, I, it was when they we were look, they were looking at each other. I was like, they have no chance, even though do it you, just does. It's do, not you a that, yep. do you think that?
1: Do you think that Vlasov made a mistake having Izagire react to Roglic's attack instead of himself?
0: I've never seen Vlasov ever snap onto someone's wheel. I'm not sure he is that sort of guy. Like when I remember all the moves in the Vuelta, he seems to need a long time to get up to speed and react. Like, do you ever remember a move going in the Vuelta or other races where he immediately, if he sees a guy attacking, jumps onto their wheel? I, I, don't, I usually think of him dieseling back to moves once they slow down and then he might attack himself.
1: I think the only moment where we saw Vlazov react like that was for Fulsang in Lombardia last year on the attacks of George Bennett. And I think I indeed didn't really expect him to snap. But then again, it's kind of parkour knowledge as well, because you know that if someone attacks on the steeper portion here, it's going to be really difficult to bridge back up on the less steep portion afterwards if it's a time trialist like Roglic as well. But also the fact that. The occasions where Vlazov can bridge back up slowly but surely on the climb happens on a climb. The last portion of the stage is, yeah, it's still a climb, but it's much, much shallower when it comes to the gradient. And as a consequence, I did not see it remotely possible for Vlazov to bring this back after that move. And Izagere clearly was not good enough to follow Roglic there because he just died in his wheel and then like pointed back to the group. But the note looking pretty fine, I think, in that second group, making a Good move together with Sharkman, and also Vlazov there in the last two kilometers, but eventually didn't bring it back. Well, you saw Benji.
0: To your point, Roglic went out to 20, 22 seconds at least on them when they weren't working together. And then when they started working together, they brought back, I think, seven, eight seconds in the last kilometer. So I think this could have been much closer, as you said, if they'd worked together. Um, But... He yeah he got that big gap where he was strongest and maybe maybe it's just a parkour thing and he always planned to attack there today and take those extra bonus seconds it makes sense why let Sharkman attack you later if you know across a like across a longer climb going harder Roglic is going to be better than Sharkman nine times out of ten so Roglic canters in or waltzes in to his I don't know how many. World Tour wins he's had in his career. He's so consistent. He just keeps winning. Um, Wins Paranese stage four. Just a fantastic attack, and he's on a fantastic level already. Sharkman second, Guillaume Martin third, Tichpenert fourth, Vlasov fifth, Hamilton sixth, same time as those other five riders, four riders, all on 12 seconds behind Roglic. Roglic also taking 10 bonus seconds. I think Sharkman taking sixth, Martin. If I'm right Go to 7th, Pasha, 8th Latour, 9th, Izaguirre, 10th And Hague in that group as well with Baugui, 16 seconds back GC, now Roglic moves into the leaders jersey 35 seconds ahead of Shakman. McNulty into 3rd, 37 seconds behind Roglic, I mean when your TT's that good You're only 2 seconds behind Schachmann Vlasov, 4th, 41 seconds back Izaguirre, 5th, 43 seconds back Matteo Jorgensen, 6th the Americans. So two Americans in the top 10. It's pretty good to see. Jorgensen came 16th on this stage. Any other thoughts on this Paris stage, Benji? Um, the only
1: rider I, I'd love to uh, yeah. shine a light on here is that Paddy Pantra, my call for a top 10 in a Grand Tour, is 11th uh, <laughs> on the stage today. And he moved on to 11th in GC. So the only thing he's terrible at is time trial. So if he can fix that, like Gus <laughs> and Mazov uh,
0: like well, did it.
1: Guillaume-Martin, same issue, then uh, he can he get higher. It. Otherwise, he's going to be troublesome.
0: But <laughs> <laughs> oh, they fixed it on as you do that. Um, oh, I'm being snarky. Anyways, business is usual for Roglic. To be honest, I would have been very surprised if this result didn't happen. And if, if, they, if he didn't win this stage or he lost time, uh, nah, maybe not win, maybe Sharkman won or whatever. But if he had lost time to those other guys or any else on this stage, I think Yamavizma would should have been should be very concerned because he's the best GC rider here. Um and Yamo have the strongest all around. They got a Tour de France strength team here. So yeah. Stage five tomorrow at Vienne to Balen. It's not enough. It's a sprint stage and but uh Roberts is just too far in the lead for the bonus seconds to matter. If Matthews was within uh, ten seconds or so maybe he could get come back to him, but he's over well back on him. Intermediate sprints are at, what is it, 35Ks, 52Ks, flat. And then the second intermediate sprint is at the end of a little roller, uh, about 18Ks from the finish. It'll be interesting to see if Shakman or someone tries to launch up there. I think Shakman has to try and claw back some seconds, particularly if he wants to maintain his podium position if others attack him. What do you think tomorrow, Benji? Bennett again, or are those heels actually going to be a problem?
1: Hmm, it depends on who rides them and at what pace, obviously. But um, they're relatively close to the finish line, so something can happen. But I think that Bennett can get over them, to be honest. I, uh, yeah, I think that I think that it's going to be a mass sprint, and I think that if the situation, like the situation in which Ball came a few days ago, won't happen over on every single stage. Bennett and Mirku are just more consistent together. So as a consequence, it's obviously the first choice to say Bennett in, in these kind of situations. And it will only be someone else if Mercku and Bennett are not in the right position in the last kilometer. And yeah, that's, I think, the basic precipice of a, a sprint stage with Bennett and Mirku at the start here these days.
0: Yeah, exactly right. Bennett and Mercku are the favorites, I think, but then it's a lottery for between about seven or eight other sprinters who can win this stage. Pedersen, Laporte, even Cockard, maybe, probably not. uh, Boll, Greipel. Matthews, Ackerman, Greipel, or I don't know. I don't know what they're doing. Where did Greipel finish on GC today, Benji? He's so sad.
1: He's disappointing his transformation to a GC rider. Yeah,
0: he's going to need to work on that. All right, on to Torreno Adriatico. We didn't do a preview because we're flat out, in case you hadn't noticed the amount of content we're producing. But just a quick yeah, but just a quick overview of this absolutely stacked field at Torino Adriatico. Van der Poel here for Alps and Phoenix, but apparently they're sprinting for Tim Merlier. As you deserve, Citroën has brought their mixed squad, Cher and Van Avermaet, Ventrame. Team Bike Exchange have Simon Yates for GC, uh, as well as Luka Mezget for the sprints. Astana Premier Tech have, I don't know really know what they're doing here. Aram Baru and Gorka Izaguirre, maybe for stage wins. And Fulsang, obviously, is he going for GC anymore? I don't know what Fulsang's doing. I, don't, I remember he said he's not going for GC anymore, but maybe that was just Grand Tours. Uh, Bahrain victorious, Landa, Bilbao, Fred Wright, pretty decent sprinter. So Landa's their GC man. Bora Hansgrohe, I've got Sagan here. I thought that was a typo the other day. Sagan... Recovered from COVID, obviously he was up there in the sprint. Good to see. Uh, they also have Conrad, maybe for GC. Cofidis Viviani look good at the UAE Tour. Quick Step got Alaphilippe, Almeida, Askren, Ballerini stacked. Well, I was going to say so but I said stacked anyway. But uh, <laughs> they also got Alvaro Hodge. We'll get to that in a second. Bit of drama there. EF Education Nippo Igita Simon Kerr, Bertiol. Who else? Zakarin for Gazprom, Pino for Groupama, Ineos have brought the most obscene team I have ever seen in a one-week race. Bernal, <laughs> Castroviejo, Gana, Kwiatkowski, Puccio, Sivakov, Thomas. What the fuck is that? Like, <laughs> that is a Tour de France level squad, Giro squad. <laughs> that's outrageous. Um, Bernal for GC, obviously, and Thomas Two, I guess. Probably not. Van art for Yamba Visma. Foss maybe for GC, but mainly a train for Van Aert. Wellens and Ewan for Lotto-Sidal. Soler for Movistar. Quintana for Arkea Samzik, Bardet. It's just a crazy field. Pozza Vivo. <laughs> I'm now getting down to U18. It's Pogaccia and Gavidia. Mixed lead-out and GC team. And Nibli Ciccone, Moschetti, Quinn-Simmons for Trek-Segafredo. I've just spoken a lot about that start list, Benji. Are you are you shook by how good that start list is? And why is this Tirreno start list so strong?
1: Like, it's genuinely insane. And you don't usually <laughs> see this too much because I think that it's usually more evenly spread between paris and Tireno. And I think the only real person that is missing to make it real top-notch is Roglic, who is at paris so... I think Tirreno's over the years proving much more interesting than Paranese for me personally. I have always cared more about Tirreno in the last, I think, 10 years. I think the last one I really cared about GC a lot in Paranese, who was going to win that and such, was the one that Contador won. So you can already imagine it's a few years ago. But um, I think it also was a much harder climbing parkour in the past. Like a good 13 years ago or something, it was m- more mountainous to my knowledge. And I feel like Paranese has moved into a bit more of a hilly terrain, while Tudeno has done a similar type thing. So the parkours are pretty similar in both. I think that Tudeno is better for the sprinters, though. And that displays by the fact that you've got just much more flat sprints here than in Parinese, I'd say. And I think that now the difference is more between what region a rider is already in, like people were in Strade and such. I don't think they go home yeah, from Strade and then go back to Tireno and afterwards go back home and then go back to Milano San Remo. I think that's also one of the reasons that a lot of people go to Tireno now to prep for Milano San Remo because they're already in that region. And, and yeah.
0: as well, yep. you, maybe don't, you don't want to be going between traveling if you don't need to. Uh, But today's stage, as Benji mentioned, should have been in a sprint stage, 156Ks. It had three climbs, circuits, the Pitoro climb, 2.7Ks at 7.5%, but that was in the first 64Ks. Then it was pancake flat for the next uh, 90Ks or 100Ks even at the crest of the final climb. And there was an intermediate sprint, 107Ks in. But apart from that, they were on the coast for a flat sprint finish. Sprinters we got here, Ewan, Melier, uh, Gavidia for UAE, Wild Van Art for Jumbo Visma with a train actually today. Um, probably, I'd say, a slightly weaker sprint field than at uh, Paranese. Ballerini and Hodge for De Quickstep and Viviani for, for Covetis and Sagan for Bora. Um, but i got to admit, we joined this pretty late because we were watching Paranese and this had came to last four kilometers. But uh, did anything interesting happen in the first 150 k's this stage, Benji, because it, it looked like it was a formality sprint up to that point to me. Very good question.
1: I started watching with about 3.5 kilometers to go, so I can't tell you. So let's head straight for the sprint. I think the teams that we were focusing on to kind of lead stuff out, I was looking forward to see if Jumbo was going to set up a train for Vanad because Vanad would get another opportunity for sprinting. Before this stage... He had a three out of five win rate to the sprints he rode, because he won two sprints at the Tour de France of the three he rode. He won a sprint at Paris-Nice, no, Dauphiné, sorry, last year. He podiumed uh, Milano-Torino, so that's three victories out of the five sprints he rode before this. So I was looking forward whether he was going to extend that percentage and make that a better ratio, because... If you can keep that up, that's one of the best ratios of a sprinter at the moment up there. And I was looking forward to see if Jumbo would set something up. They eventually did set something up. Jumbo was moving to the front on the left side of the road with a 3-4 rider train. One by one, they kept yeah, spending their riders. Some weird stuff was happening on the left side of the road, where I think Vanderpool was trying to bring Melir to the front, but then oh, Merlier out. lost his wheel. And then Vanderpool was like 20 meters ahead of everybody. Except for like, the people that were on the left side of the road, and Melir was nowhere near Vanderpool. So, Vanderpool had to go back to Melir and try and find them again. I don't think Vanderpool is good at leading out someone, or at least not good at bringing someone to the front. We
0: found what he's not good at. <laughs> <I don't laughs> we saw it in Tereno last year, Benji. Remember in Tereno last yep. year when he would like, surge way like so hard out of corners and gap merlier off the wheel now maybe Merlier's is not good enough uh, in a stacked world tour sprint but I think Vanderpool's actually not not a great lead out man because he would, do, he would do like 1400 watts for five seconds drop his team be on the wrong side of the road on his own look back and like oh, no, where is everyone is right at the back being like what the hell man then he'd drift back and rinse and repeat so Alperson couldn't they'd been at the front chasing a lot today Merlier's had a good start to the season up north uh and yeah they couldn't they, he was way too deep Merlier, so he Pretty much didn't have a chance with 1K to go. Yamba as Benji said, was set up, but then they, they were spending riders quickly, and eventually they dropped Walfanard off or ran out of steam, and basically they were letting Art look after himself. So he slid onto the Gaviria train, which had uh Richese, Ivo Oliveira, I think, was in there as well. So it was, I think it was Oliveira and then, yeah, Richese. He slid onto that train on the left-hand side. Walfanard said it was different to the Paranese experience, Benji. I was thinking, as I was watching it overhead, I was like, if this was the Paranese sprint and Walt Van Aert was trying to slip onto Gaviria's wheel here, he would cop a heavy shoulder. I can't remember who was on yep. his wheel. Now, maybe it's a respect thing with Walt Van Aert. He's always a big guy, but is a pretty clean sprint for what could have been a tricky finish. Ballerini and Hodge, I couldn't tell which one was which. They are both just together on the right-hand side of the quick step. They were struggling to move up. They were on the slower right-hand side. This is from, as you look at it, overhead. Ewan was in the middle with clear air to his right, which was quite good. Uh, I thought that 500 it looked okay for Ewan. Art's fourth wheel now. Richese's starting to pull for uh, Gaviria on the left-hand side. a second wheel. Ewan's got De Bois trying to move up through the middle, and he's trying to Du Bois is trying to sprint sprint to the right-hand side, but Du Bois just wasn't... It's like in the UAE tour, Benji. He's like trying, but he can't make a difference, and he's not going quicker than Richese, so he couldn't move Ewan up. Richese runs out of steam, and I swear it's like 275 metres to go, and Wafanat just launches off Gaviria's wheel before Gaviria can sprint on the barrier side to uh, Richese's left. So is obviously going to... Do his lead out and then leave a small gap for Gaviria to sprint through on his left, just like we saw Mertku and Bennett do at UAE Tour. But Gaviria, uh, who already jumped to the right hand side, he's got a gap. Then, off well, Gaviria can't. He was going the other other way. Ewan wasn't on Wavrinata's wheel, so Wavrinata's initial kickers gapped. I think even other lead out men, and then Ewan, who'd followed Bois, has to sprint in, start sprinting into air, basically at that point as well. And Gaviria comes on the left-hand side, gets into Walfenart's slipstream, which prevents Ewan getting Walfenart's slipstream from 125 to 50 to go. Ewan eventually outkicks Gaviria, uh, but barely gets any Walfenart's slipstream, tries to come around Walfenart's right-hand side. Walfenart's been sprinting for what feels like 30 seconds, sprints (laughs) in a straight line, got to respect fair play from Walfenart, even though he knew Ewan was coming hard to his right, and Walfenart maintains it to the line. How did that make you feel Benji as a Wout van an Art super fan? <laughs> as a Wout Van Art super fan. <laughs> well, I'm just gonna
1: debunk that first. I'm not a Wout van Art super fan because I'm gonna <laughs> say something <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm apparently a Wout van Art super fan now, but I think that Wout van Art is one of the three best sprinters in the world. I I agree. <laughs> okay. I'm glad that's not a super fan take anymore. Um what I think... a sprint
0: though. What's a
1: sprint? What's a sprint? This is very
0: existential. <laughs>
1: <laughs> a sprint is when... <laughs> I don't know.
0: <laughs> when they all well, ride uh, to the finish line very fast. Because <laughs> uh, I think in Champs-Élysées, it's between Ewan and Bennett. If they both get a lead out on either side of the road and they get dropped off at 100, I think it's 50-50. But I think they're going to beat Walfanart in that situation. I think Par- at Paranese Stage 1, I think Walfanart's the best just about with an uphill finish I think a sprint that has a few climbs before it he's the best a sprint after the Poggio he's better than Ewan and, and Bennett so like it depends what what is a sprint do you mean just like a traditional bunch sprint like we saw at Torino
1: yeah I, I'm saying a traditional bunch sprint like we see in Torino and Torino last year as well I believe that is in the top three. I, I i can't compare him to both Bennett and Ewan because we haven't seen him sprint against all too frequently because he's only sprinted six times in the last year and he won four of those at 66%. His sprint to... No, his win to sprint ratio is the highest of every single sprinter in the world. And he's not even allowed to sprint half the time.
0: I'm sorry for hitting you with the certain Kierkegaard uh, existentialism questions so late in the evening. But yeah, I agree. Even with the uh even with like a pure mass sprint, I think Walvonat well, is up there. Because he can he got a bit of a lead out today and it allowed him to get onto Gavidia's wheel. But you don't think that like do you think he's just way more consistent than case bowl, riders like that and that Mads Pederson seconds, seconds at nice I think Walvon, well, yeah, you just gotta look at the ratio of the sprints he does contest and they're always at the top level too like what if what if he got sent to a lot of like pro races or smaller stage races he would be destroying them as well I think he's better than Merlier who's been looking good at those you know men style races too uh, but anyway the results Van Aert first Ewan second Gaviria third Van fourth nice result for him yeah Lukámez gets fifth Merlier sixth get this Hodge seventh, Ballerini eighth, <laughs> finish next to each other, Ivan Garcia Cortina ninth, and Hugo Hofstetter tenth. Sagan in the group, eleventh. I think that's good to see from Sagan just up there being competitive, you know, straight after COVID. I think that's really encouraging. And he's always I loved his results at Toronto in the last decade. Quick step, Benji. What the fuck are they doing sprinting for Hodge, not Ballerini, after Ballerini's season so far?
1: Yeah, I don't get it. I really don't get it. Hodge <laughs> for two years has not shown anything after that crash. He had the injury, he had the surgery last year. Also leading into that, or 2019 already, the surgery after that crash. I don't know whether it was last year or two years ago. No, I don't remember. <laughs> My memory's fading, man. But um, I think it's pretty clear that Ballerini is a good sprinter now. And I think Hodge is not only not achieving anything, he's... He's basically countering the abilities of the team here by being in the team, which is obviously not really Hotch's fault. The DS shouldn't have chosen to let him also sprint. They should have chosen who to go for. And additionally, I don't think Hotch at the moment deserves to be in this race. I believe that Cavendish deserves more to be in Tirreno from his capabilities of the last year.
0: Okay. I mean... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, they got to they got to let Hodge sprint for something. Like he's in a contract year, he's a young guy. They got to let him try and prove Brussels something. Russell Cycling
1: Classic or something, I don't know.
0: Yeah, but you, yeah, you're, the point is which which Benji's trying to make. Tourneo Adriatico World Tour level stage race with Ballerini in the team is not the place to be letting people try or get back to form. I think uh Yeah. There's plenty of Belgian races uh and 1121 races where you can go and try and get your eye back in uh i think they got to be they got to, they'll ride for ballerini i think uh for the rest of the race i'd be very so. surprised if they didn't um but yeah Torreno adriatico bunch sprint while well, not first he takes the bonus seconds benji now they've been jumbo these have been rubbishing the notion that he can compete for gc at torrento because he's you know they called him overweight in the media um and they said, oh, he's not in good condition for GC. He's been doing other sort of – he's coming off altitude. He's four seconds – well, I guess ahead of the GC guys, he's got a 10-second lead already because obviously Ewan you you and, uh, probably won't be up there on GC. So 10-second lead. Tomorrow, Benji, look at this finish. Oh, we got 200 – what is it? 211-kilometer stage, 201-kilometer stage. Flat or flat for the first hundred or ninety k's, then a few rollers, nothing too crazy. I think they got the uh, Poggio alla Croce, three point five k's at seven percent. I don't think that should worry Van Art too much. And then the final climb to Chiosdino is seven point five k's at three point five percent. That is like a it just gets steeper every single kilometer. First case, two two percent. Second case, three percent. Third case, three percent. Fourth case, three percent. Then it's three point five percent, four point three percent, five point three percent in the last k, and then the last, I think, five hundred meters is about five percent as well. So, well, have the favorite tomorrow? Am I Vanderpool? My stop. Pardon, Pool. Oh yeah, he's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> He's pretty good. (laughs) What what sort of finish does this, this is like quite a tricky one that I don't think we've previewed before, Benji. I love it. A a long false flat drag that continually gets harder. And it's like if they ride it really easy at the start, it will change completely who can be there at the finish. Now, I don't think you and Ogaviria will be there, but what about Vendrame, Benji? What about Ballerini? It's probably Ballerini not. Ballerini no, could yeah. do this.
1: I think Ballerini, think Ballerini could genuinely do this. I think Ballerini was up there with the moment that Vonard made his first move in Strade Bianche. Then Ballerini had a puncture and was basically out of contention for the entire rest of Strade Bianche at the worst moment ever. So we don't know how far he would have gotten that. Eventually he ended up 17th, which wasn't real because then it apparently meant that Ballerini crossed the line 17 after skipping three sand sectors in strada Bianca. so he uh just dnf'd but um i still think that his capabilities are very high i think in Lai Weglia he also was pretty high up until we had an attack i don't know who attacked was it
0: oh he was there late no he was there late and that was a those are steeper climbs yeah and that. that- Tour de la Provence finish, he won on stage two, had steeper sections than anything on this. This is a gradual climb where a draft will be very important. That Provence stage, he was up there. He was the only sprinter up there, quote-unquote sprinter, in a group with Ciccone, Jorgensen, Bernal, Moscon and Co. Uh, I think Ciccone came second. Dylan Turns was up there at the finish too. So that was a harder finish. This is a longer finish. Who do you think will take it up? Do you think Apples and Phoenix will try to lead out Van Der Do you think Jumbo-Visma will try and set pace for Walfe and Art and drop the quote-unquote pure sprinters? Will this be hard enough, Benji, for Conrad, Almeida, Pogacar, or you don't think so?
1: I don't think it's going to be hard enough for Conrad, Almeida, and Pogacar. I also don't think that you need to go for Almeida if you've got a ballerini in the team there.
0: Uh, oh, I true. think it's going
1: to be way oh, too tough Al-Fleep. for the likes of Fiviani. Sorry? Alphelic's Ah, he's, he's like on the brink, but you know, because he will he <laughs> lead out
0: Ballerini, I think. It depends. It depends. If Ballerini's there, Alaphilippe will lead him out, I think. Yeah. Ah, it's so difficult she because. Does. They got a I, great lead out, Benji. But
1: Alaphilippe is also going for GC, I would expect here. Because like, there's only really? one the mountain stage. And if he wrote the same way that he did at Provence, he can top three GC.
0: True. I don't know. Uh, it's going to be very interesting to see what Quick Step do tomorrow. They they have three riders that could potentially... No, Almeida probably won't win, but if it's a super hard climb, harder than it looks on paper and it's written really hard, Alaphilippe can be up there on this finish. Probably wouldn't beat Van der Poel or Wappenato. Um But then if it's easier and they can do a great lead out with Asgren, and Stieba and Van Leiberg and Alaphilippe for Ballerini, Ballerini has a good chance for this stage as well. I think Walvana won't really mind and Vanderpool. Like Walvana and Vanderpool are not getting dropped on this climb. It's just not happening. Yeah. Um and yeah, what about quicks? What about uh Ineos Benji? Quirkovsky. No, he's not I don't know. I think they're just gonna be in damage conservation mode, like trying not to yeah. have Bernal get distanced. Garcia Cortina, I'm trying to find a dark horse.
1: Garcia Cortina would definitely be someone that I'd name a dark horse, but I haven't seen anything from him yet this season, so I don't know. Ciccone was close on that stage that you just mentioned from Ballerini in Provence, but Ciccone also isn't well known for his his best sprint. I think he just had a great day that day, so he hasn't consistently performed sprinting at that level, I would say. And the other names I would think of when seeing this finish, it's it's Simon Clark for a top five. He was good at Strade, something Uh, like that. He was one of the names I had in mind, but outside of that, it's kind of the chances say are it. kind of slim, to be honest.
0: Say Aaron the Buru? name you want to say, Benji. Yes, there we go. I was, there I was, go. Like, I was like, there's no way he doesn't say Aaron Baru for an uphill finish. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're right. Yeah. yeah. Aaron Baru, I mean, he's got to win eventually, hasn't he? Um, <laughs> Feels <laughs> Nathan, bad, man. 20, 2016 Nathan Haas um but also what about this guy he's pretty good pretty good rider he's been good at Toronto, good in uphill finishes mixed terrain before in the last 20k's peter sagan i forgot he was out? here <laughs> <laughs> i think he's going to top 5 minimum minimum
1: uh, he wasn't amazing in the sprint today i don't know what no, I mean, his he wasn't home- he
0: wasn't far back benji i know he came 11th no. but I know he came eleventh, but he wasn't actually that far back. It was like a big bunch yeah. that he was in. He he wasn't like that many wheels yeah. behind yeah. Nard and Newen. That was what I found encouraging.
1: It's encouraging, but I I still I've got so much difficulty with this whole COVID thing. With expecting somebody to be at a certain level afterwards, we saw Lutsenko be very inconsistent after his COVID. But just video as shaken. well. <laughs> I think what, sorry. Shaken.
0: That's just Lushenko. I think that's just who he's <laughs> always been.
1: That's kind of true. Yeah, I don't I know. looks like he Sagan can... to
0: me. I'd love it. How good would it be? I really want this to happen. I want Sagan to win ahead of Wapana and Van der Poel. Kind of like when, yeah, I'm not going to do another NBA analogy. Actually, Benji gets really confused by them. But, yeah, just to, after all the hype he's heard about these two, up today, Van der Poel at Strade, if Sagan won, that would be so good and good for the sport too to have him back winning against top top names as well. Uh, so I'd love to see it, uh, but I think Wavernat or Van der Poel will be up there in this finish. It's tailor made for the You got to choose, man. Oh, do I? Yeah, der Vanderpool. Oh well, yeah, you're always going to go with. The opposite to me. One of us, that way, one of us is right, and everyone can say the Lantern Roof Cycling Podcast correctly predicted the winner. But that looks like a <laughs> fantastic stage for terreno adriatico tomorrow. Maybe there's going to be someone attacking like Alaphilippe on the earlier climbs. I would love to see that as well. Maybe Alaphilippe attacks at the intermediate sprint about 15 Ks before the finish, a little, little climb up to Mont- Monti- Monticiano, trying to take some bonus seconds back as well. Could be a pretty exciting race. That was our Toreno wrap. Now we're on to the healthy aging tour. 2-1 race, but the start list is stacked. We've already mentioned it a couple of times. Drops the Coal is riding here. The Coal title sponsor of the Drops the Coal team. Actually did pretty well today. Um that's Conti team getting right up there. Assen to Assen, 126k stage around some sort of F1 circuit. I don't really know. It was a race car circuit, I think. Um, it's in the Netherlands. It's flat. It's, I don't know, they did like 300 meters elevation, which is a lot for the Netherlands apparently, but I don't know, 127 yeah. Ks. Bunch sprint. The sprints that we got here, Kirstenveld, Hosking, Amelie Diedrichsen for Trek. We were like, in our preview, we were like, would Diedrichsen be back to the level she's shown before in sprints? Uh, Lorena Veibs, if I haven't mentioned on DSM already. Uh, who else, Benji? Norisgaard. Norisgaard. The revelation at the start of the season, Emma got the Danish national champ for Movistar. Yolindor, Yolindor, sprinter, Belgian sprinter for SD Works. SD Works just keep winning. Um, but yeah, I thought the main favourites were Dor, Vibes, and Kirsten Wild were the like lock top three favourites to be honest for this stage, uh, and that's just the way the way sprints have been for the last. Long time in women's cycling, last couple of years <laughs> at least. Particularly, like Liebers is the quickest in the world by far. Um, but it was pretty exciting this flat stage, Benji. And we'll get to that. We'll get to the sprint in a second. But Daniëk Hengeveld, young Dutch rider for GT Krush Tanap, very strange name for that team. 18 years old. We we're like, oh, I, turned, I flicked it on with seven k's to go. And I was like, oh. 25 second gap 30 second gap you know she just they'll reel really her in when they want to it would be easy she just stayed out there forever and ever and ever and do you think that affected the sprint How, that Hangerveld stayed out there until like the last 150 meters
1: I think that it did but I think a lot influenced the sprint today if we haven't gone over it yet the last kilometer of this circuit is pretty treacherous and I don't think it should be treacherous. There's a lot of opportunities on this parkour to not make it treacherous. And the problem that I see is that in the last 350 meters, I was going to say kilometers, but that's not the case. In the last 350 meters of each circuit that they do here, you've got where the sprint is going to be sprinted, obviously, towards the finish line. And there's a chicane literally in the last 350 meters that first goes to the left, then to the right. And then there's another bend to the right around towards the finish line. So you've basically got three corners in the last 350 meters, which in the first few times they passed there, I was like, they could get through there pretty safely. But I wasn't thinking like, if they do this at a sprinting speed, there's no way they get through that unharmed. And the odd part about it is like behind the line, there's like a straight line of like 400 meters, 300 meters that they could have extended it and made the finish line later. And I think that would have influenced a lot of here because let me go into the last section. I think that it all really came down together in the last kilometer, really, to be honest, she had a tiny gap on the group then on the Peloton group. That was uh, being led by first DSM as well, leading the group, but also the team of Yolindore also doing quite a bit of work and it, got really treacherous into those last 400 meters because she had a gap of like 20 meters going into that chicane on the group, which was already the sprinters coming to the fore. And the problem there is when they go into that corner, then they obviously are going to try and take the inner corner of the other part of the chicane. And as a consequence, a lot of people that go through the first part of that chicane, take it really wide, and one rider, I don't know how she stayed up her bike, she almost r- rode straight into the barrier on the left side of the road, and she tried to get back into the group, and that caused some chaos in the group, and there was a bit of a split between like the first, I think, eight riders and the rest of the group, and in those first eight riders, it was Alice Barnes taking on the sprint first, Lorena in, in second wheel, I think Yolindora was fourth or fifth wheel back at that point, and the annoying part about the last 200 meters is that bent that I spoke about, the bend going into the finishing line. And Alice Barnes is taking the inner corner, but coming out of the corner, she doesn't really turn parallel to the road. She kind of keeps going forward and slowly turns to the finish line, which means that she ends up basically halfway the road instead of at the barrier on the, on the left side of the road. So
0: yeah, she goes the straightest. She goes the shortest line, as if you're yeah. doing a TT on the on the Imola circuit. If you remember all the guys doing and women doing the TT on the Imola circuit, they like go apex, apex on these F1 circuits in the finish, rather than following the bend across to her right. And yeah, that caused problems, Benji.
1: Yes, because Lorena Wiebes was in her wheel, and Lorena Wibbers was, well, she thought that Alice Barnes was going to turn towards the finishing line, so Wiebes did so as well, a bit too close to the wheel of Alice Barnes, surely, because she ended up crossing with her front wheel to the back wheel of Alice Barnes, trying to move a bit to the right to go to the finish line, and actually follow parallel to the road, and it caused Wibbus to crash pretty heavily. She uh, rolled over a few times. acceleration.
0: She's like, just started to like sprint.
1: And as a consequence, she touched Alice Barnes' wheel. Alice Barnes was like, oh, what's happening here? She tried to get back into sprint mode in the last few meters, but Behind those two riders, there was another person that was coming up, Yolindora, Dora, that had to evade webus so also had to break a tiny bit. I don't think she no lost as much momentum. No one else crashed. Yeah, I don't get how no one crashed, but that's good, I guess. And she lost a lot of momentum, Dora, but I think she didn't lose as much momentum as Barnes did by having Weebus in her wheel for a second there. And yeah, she just sprinted. She was much faster to get back to top speed than Alice Barnes was, and on the line, she just passed Alice Barnes and took the victory here. So, very treacherous parkour in the last 200 meters. I think the parkour really influenced the outcome of the stage. I cannot tell you who would have won if I'll tell you, yeah, Webers If there was no crash, Webers would, would have won.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think Webers she. Can- going to be doubly annoyed. I, th- I hope she's all right. She got straight back on her bike, yeah. so I hope she's okay. It looked like she was okay. She hit the ground pretty hard, but she's like 99% to blame for the crash, in my view. It's pretty, pretty bad error and handling error from her getting her wheel on the wrong side. And nah. Then nah, she sprinted pretty much straight into Alice Barnes. Like Alice Barnes didn't really move off her line or anything that badly. It looked to me like it looked to me like Vivas wanted to pass her as close as possible on a bend and pretty much had her head down and barreled straight into her back wheel. I'm so going to
1: bring forward a point here. F- this yeah. is going to be like, this is next level. I'm not blaming anybody. This is how I apply the current UCI rules, which is really annoying. We know that in the organizer's specifications, it says that the final 200 meters at least should be straight, the word should, and it's also in the specification, so those are guidelines and not necessarily rules. So that's a mistake by the UCI, in my opinion. The last portion of a sprint should always be straight. It causes this issue, and it also causes another issue. We spoke about Alice Barnes taking a route to the finish line that is not parallel to the road. That means that she's not holding the same lane on paper because the lane on paper follows the road. Which means that on paper she broke the deviation rule. Which is stupid. No.
0: On I paper think... she
1: did. But it's stupid. <laughs> and as a <laughs> consequence I don't know about the that. person who didn't change lane and kept the same turn yeah, it crashed. I don't think that Alan's Barnes is to blame. I think that this is an issue with the deviation rule again. And the issue comes straight from the fact that they don't have a rule that there shouldn't be a bend in the last 200 meters, and I hate it because every single time something happens like this, I agree. But we're going to talk about it.
0: Lorraine of Ebes has got either side of the road to choose from. Barnes is in the middle of the road. There's no one around. She them. wasn't
1: going into the corner,
0: and she sprints pretty much straight into into Alice Barnes. So. I think she would have won the stage. She was coming really, really yep. fast. She she definitely would have beat Barnes. Whether Jolie and Dora would have been able to get onto her wheel and win as well, I don't think so based on the, how I've, those two have fared in the past. But maybe I need to go back and look at it more closely, I guess. It's a little bit um, – yeah, Benji's looked at it a bit closer to me. He's put it on Twitter. Benji's put it on a thread on Twitter with some screenshots, et cetera. So maybe that's the, go and have a discussion there as well. Uh but Yumbo Visma Benji. Carolyn Schwinkles third, Anna Henderson fourth, both on Yumbo Visma win- women. I thought they'd be sprinting for Henderson. Charlotte Cool, fifth, Amy Peter sixth for SD Works. Georgia Danford, seventh for Andy Schleck's team. Engerveld hung on to eighth for G.T. Krush Tanap. Marli Marjoline uh Vant-Galuf for drops. Lecole yep. came ninth and Umber van der Hulst came 10th for Park Hotel Wolkenberg, Park Hotel we're doing a fair bit of work bringing things back. Norsgaard 11th, Hosking 15th, and Brenauer 16th, Benji, the best placed. Uh, so that's the best placed. Movistar, Trek, and Theretizit WNT Pro Cycling Riders. That I is, think. That's disappointing for them.
1: I think it's all because of the chicane, because they went into the chicane with Norsgaard sitting two wheels behind the group that eventually got loose in that chicane. And if that chicane wasn't there, then Norsgaard, with her Movistar rider that was next to her, would have been able to creep back up and would have been able to sprint for it in the end. But here she got basically cancelled out, because I think that one rider who went to the barrier, when she went back in, she kind of ruined up the peloton a tiny bit. Not on purpose, obviously, she just tried to stay up, which is a miracle to be honest. And I think that ruined the options of anybody in that second group to do anything going from Norsgaard to von Vantulov, who was also, I think, sixth in Lissamad behind uh, Norsgaard, who got second there. So yeah, I think a lot of decent sprinters didn't get their opportunity today. And um, I think that we might see some different top fives in the coming results. If it comes down to a proper sprint in the end. And um, I think, All in all, it was a a really fun race. It's very fun to see young riders come to the fore in those breakaways throughout the stage, creeping up and and displaying their colors. And and just the fact that we don't see coverage of this almost ever a continental race in in women's cycling. And I love that it's there because now we can do what we do with men's racing and we can analyze, ooh, who's going to be a talent in the future? Oh, this is going to be fun. This is a young... Dutch rider who can do well in the future. That kind of stuff. And that's what I'm so intrigued about in cycling. Looking at the lower grades of cycling as well and see who's going to pop up, who's going to move up, who's a young talent and who's going to step into world during the coming years. And something like this gives an opportunity to that. And we don't have that often, so I'm celebrating it.
0: All right. Tomorrow, time trial from Lavrasug to Lavrasug. These names. 14 kilometers... (laughs) Pancake Flat in the northern the Netherlands. Um, There's three names, I think. Van Dyck. Who else? Oh, Brennau, sorry. I, I just, my brain just shut down. Brennau from <laughs> Stereo, obviously. And Emma Norsgaard Benji. She came second at Chrono Donation uh, in 2018 when she was like a mere child, 18 years old or 19. <laughs> a mere child. <laughs> She came second in Lusimmen, second in Omloop. She should have won one of them uh, if she had if she had a better lead out. She was the strongest rider in definitely Lusimmen. She was the strongest rider. I think Norsgard might win based on how. Yeah, I think Norsgard's a good shout tomorrow. Uh, but who do you pick? Is there another name I'm missing?
1: Hmm. What's the time trial of Alice Barnes like? Because I genuinely don't know her time trialing capabilities. I haven't seen any of her the last. Here's eighth in Steratidity Challenge good. last year. So it's pretty good. She's up there. Oh, Leah Lea Kirchman from Sunweb, BSM, also pretty good at this. So yeah, I'm g go- I'm gonna go with an outsider. I'm gonna go for Leah Kirchman.
0: Okay. I reckon Noor's guard might have cost herself the G C by being not getting the some of the bonus seconds today. But yeah, they've got uh the IT here tomorrow, which I think she'll do well at if if pure power and positioning is not as important obviously but that's the uh healthy aging tour stage one wrap up we'll be back tomorrow with wrap ups of Parney stage five torrento stage two and healthy aging tour stage two hope you enjoyed this beast of a podcast go and check out our show partner cc in the link in just in the description if you need to get yourself any new cycling kit and we'll be back tomorrow i have gotta go sleep benji's got a